So continuing on to see and have pity for people and feel sorry for them and cry and have emotions is passive, okay? But compassion, this is what the Christian is to have. It feels and does something. See, it's okay to feel these things. We have to, to be moved. But then we're moved to do something. And that's what the gift of exhortation or good preaching or teaching is for. It's to stir a person up to do something. It's okay to hear the truth. It's okay to have good Bible doctrine and understanding. But unless it's put into action, it isn't doing you a bit of good. It's mental assent. So it's to encourage the Christian to do something. The evangelist is to stir up. The evangelist is for the body of Christ. It's basically not for the sinner. That's part of his ministry. The evangelist is for the body of Christ. It's to stir them up. Today, the evangelist is someone who preaches only to sinners. He preaches the same message all the time because he's a fool. And he doesn't know scripture. And he thinks because he gets them to say, oh, I confess the Lord, they're saved. They're not. And Jesus made it plain, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to do everything I told you. He didn't say teach you how to come in the door. He taught you how to keep walking on the path. Paul talked about entering a race and then continuing it. You enter a race, you don't continue, then you fall to the side. You're not in the race anymore. So there's a lot of false teaching and exhorting out there. A good preacher, any preacher, if he can't teach sound scripture, he has no business preaching salvation message. I was at a church when I was a baby Christian, and all I ever heard for nine months was how to get saved. After the third week, I said, I've caught on to this. What do I have to keep hearing this for? So I left the church, went somewhere else. And the people are still there. All they did was confess Jesus and rededicate. See, because they kept sinning and they weren't repenting. They weren't taught anything but confess Jesus. Once saved, always saved. And it never progressed because they didn't have the truth. They had a false gospel. Okay? So it's one thing to pray for others. But if you're the answer, then do what the Lord and the Spirit guides you to do. Compassion feels and does something. So compassion is better than pity. Pity feels sorry for a person. Compassion feels sorry for him and then does something about it. Okay? So the Christian should have compassion. Pity should be left aside. Compassion meets needs. And if it doesn't have the ability, then it asks God. See, there's the place to ask God. And not to ask him to do certain things when it's within your ability and within your area and right before you, and you can do it. James is saying, what's what's the problem here? You're supposed to be exercising your Christian faith. But we can pray. And many Christians were poor in Paul's time, and they didn't have means and goods, so they did pray. They had a group of widows that the church supported and fed and took care of because they spent all their time praying for the body of Christ. They didn't have nothing to give but their prayers, and God accepted it. So many of these prosperity people, they keep it to luxurious living, and they're a king's kid. No, they're on the way to hell. They're greedy and covetousness. And they brag about having $300 million and a billion dollars, these ministers. What do you think is going to happen when they drop dead? That money isn't going to be used for the kingdom. 
What kind of stewardship do you think God's going to call them into account for? It could have helped many people over the years, but they squandered it on themselves and their greed. See, it's a false form of Christianity. The faith and prosperity movement, most of it is false and detestable to the Lord. It's materialism and self-seeking to live in luxury. That's all it is. It's of this world. And then you have the ones like that. I've heard people say, and I've dealt with them. Well, I give my tithe and that's enough. Well, Jesus said, the, he said, unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven because the Pharisee tithed everything. Yeah, he'd given to the tithing box, but not the free will offerings. Uh-huh. He tithed everything, but he was a thief in covetousness as a whole. Oh, there was a few of them, right? But as a whole, he said, you think Jehovah's your father? He said, the devil's your father. But they were mimicking much religion and imitating and making vain prayers to merchandise the widows and people. They do that today. Everything they do is centered around how much money they can get out of you. And they do that by promising you God's blessing because you're greedy. So they're good for each other. That's why God leaves them alone. He leaves them alone. And then the blind and the one listening to him both fall into the ditch because they don't want the truth. They're caught up in the greed and materialism. Uh, I've heard others say, and I've listened to them over the 50 years, we are a king's kid, and God wants to bless us, and he sends angels to guard our property. You're a fool. You're going to find out about this at the end when you stand speechless. You're going to stand at a judgment thinking you're going into heaven and you could be cast into hell. And then there's going to be nothing you can do about it. You're going to be wailing and hopeless for eternity. That's what God has for those people, okay? No scripture says anywhere. I don't care what preacher tells you. He's a liar and he's misguided. The tithe is not put on the church. Actually, the church, the body of Christ, should be given more than a tithe. And if he can't give money, he gives other things. He doesn't measure it out that way. It isn't, oh, I've tithed, now I can squander the rest on myself. If you're selfish, I don't care if you have money or not, poor people can just be as greedy as rich people. Poor people can be just as proud. They're just, and I've talked to them, the poor people, they always go at the rich. Oh, they're going to burn in hell. I said, well, you are too, because you want to be like them, but you're poor and you can't be, and you're jealous of them. You're adding more sin. See, they, they think, oh, that's good to jump on them. But what about you? You'd do it if you could, but you're too stupid to make money and be wise in daily dealings. You, know, you tell them something. You don't make friends that way, though. So God owns you. You're not your own. The Spirit may require more of you at times. Most of the time, he leaves it within your authority and capacity to do it with these. He don't care if we live in moderation. It's not into extravagance. Okay? So if people have the giving ministry, God is prospering them mainly for the ministry, not so they can build a bigger home and get a new Cadillac or a Corvette. That's not the purpose. And then some of them own five homes and six cars, seven airplanes. And I think common sense would say that's greed and covetousness. What can you do with all that? You're of the world. You're not of the Lord. 
They want the kingdom here and the next life. They're not getting it. Okay. And that kind of blessing, of course, comes with it. See? God lets them have it. But he'll meet them one day and they'll give an account. And that's not going to be well when they do. Okay? So he doesn't care if the Christian lives in moderation. If you're able to make money and your profession and job and your circumstances of your lot and providence brings it your way, well, fine. But you're still a steward of the Lord and have to be careful. There is no place where this is mine, not if you're a Christian. And often he leaves it to your own authority to deal with it under the guidance, and you can do good with it and do certain people and just common sense goodness. He expects that if that's your nature, if you have Christ in you. Well, we go here. Most people don't go here because they don't like these scriptures. Okay, let's go to First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 19. 17, Paul says, command. This is an order. It's not a request. Command those who are rich in this present age. He's talking to those who are Christian, who profess to be Christian. Not to be proud, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. That's where the moderation comes in. We can enjoy things that we have. If we have it, fine. If we don't have it. See, Paul said, I've learned how to be a base and how to be abounding. He could learn both states. Christians are to learn both states. You may have to go through prosperity at times, and you may have to go through poverty. But the Lord will meet you, and you'll not starve to death, because he said he would. But he didn't promise you wealth and health 24 hours a day like the false teachers do. Let them do good and be rich in good works, okay? What does that mean to be rich in good works? I mean, if you got a lot, then God expects you to give more. That's part of your stewardship. I heard of uh, years ago, 75 years or more, certain person told the Lord he was going to give him a tithe. His business was doing very well. He said, I'm going to give everything. I'll give the 10% to you, Lord. And he said, the Lord in prayer told him, I don't want the 10%. I want 90%. You keep the 10 And his ministry and his work, he still became a millionaire. But he did it. See, the Lord was just telling him, that's mine anyway. So he lived very well off the 10%. And he obeyed the Lord. He wasn't greedy, okay? Ready to give, willing to share, storing up a good foundation for eternal life. It means by doing this, you're proving to God you've got the right faith by your actions, and it'll make sure you get into heaven. And otherwise, if you're not doing that, you have a question whether you're going to stay in the Lord or not because you're revealing your heart, okay? But back to verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into hurts. Six or seven times he speaks of money clearly. He never once encourages a Christian to be rich. He just says, if you're in that state, here's what you have. He gives the warning. And why? Because he says you'll fall into many. The average person is bent toward coveting and materialism, and we have to fight that. So he's saying it's not good. 
that most Christians should not be rich because it'll cause them fall. And they never read this scripture here. You rarely ever heard of it. Verse 6. But godliness with contentment is the great gain. If you want to be covetous and greedy, he said, learn contentment. Contentment means we adjust to the lot that's given us, the ups, the downs, the backs, the forths, which life usually has for people. In Proverbs, it says, Solomon said he set a prosperity against adversity. God's done this. That's a part of the warfare life. Things change. You may be rich, and then all of a sudden, the riches may go. And if you are captivated by them, they may stay there because it's going to damn your soul. So you think, oh, I'm still blessed. No, that kind of riches brings a curse with it. Eternal destruction. Greediness, he calls it. Destruction and perdition, hell, is where the desire to be rich falls if God is in it and if you aren't listening to him. So that's the danger. Okay. Riches, again, if a a giving gift and you have the money, then you use it mainly for others. It's not for your luxurious living. Greed, covetousness, and the materialistic mind is of this world. And Paul said, set your mind on heavenly things, not on earthly materialism. The Christian can use the world, but not let the world use them. We can use money and things, but we don't let them regulate us. We learn how to live with and without. God's grace is sufficient. And as the psalmist said, you, Lord, maintain my lot. Well, some people are not satisfied, content, so they're already getting into a bad state. If they've not learned contentment in this world, they're going to be drawn by the world and have greater temptations. Okay? Practicing hospitality. Most Christians of the apostolic times uh, were poor and lived day by day. God did not and does not expect things from people do not have, even Christians. If you don't have it, you don't have it. If you can't give it, you can pray. That's the time you pray and ask God to meet them. Maybe he could trust someone else to deal with him, and he couldn't trust you. If he gave you something, you'd spend it on yourself instead of what God intended. So we have to understand what grace and faith has given to us for certain ministry. Most of them were poor, and Paul said, but they were rich in faith. Well, that truly goes against the prosperity doctrine, doesn't it? If you're poor, then you're stupid. That's how I heard them teach. You're foolish. God wants us wealthy, healthy, and rich. We're a king's kid. Mm-hmm. But he said they were poor but rich in faith. So you could be a Christian and following the Lord and still live on basics and at times don't know where the next thing's coming from. There's no proof of your spirituality one way or the other. Okay. Remember, that was the Corinthians' problems, the rich Corinthians. They were not accepted at the Lord's Supper, and they wanted the elite. And God struck them, and many of them died from sicknesses. He said, that I don't send you to hell. Why did he strike them with sickness? He said that they would not be damned with the world. His striking them with sickness was the form of repentance in them. 
and see their wickedness. And if they repented, they were forgiven. They didn't go to hell. If they didn't, they went to hell. Very plain and simple. People don't like to see that. So the rich ones at Corinthia treated the poor contemptible. They did not discern the body of Christ. And God killed many with sickness. Okay? So they wouldn't end up in hell. That was his intention. The hospitality mainly was to traveling evangelists and teachers and ones fleeing from persecution. And all Christians would help them. Even those who had basics, many of them had a place to stay, so they were welcome. They didn't have to provide luxury or anything. They provided what they had, food and clothing, and a warm place. That was the hospitality that they expected, and they weren't looking for anything else like today. They want to covet and use these things and merchandise them and get more for themselves because they think, well, I'm a, a king's kid, okay? So today we see he's not talking. Today we would take people out to eat because we have the means to do it, and then we get it in return. This is not the hospitality he's talking about. That's nice if you want to do it. Say so do good to all men. But that's not the gift of hospitality. That's a trade-off. That's fine to do with friends and stuff. There's no great spiritual value in it. You enjoy their presence. You have the means. That, that's fine. But that is not the gift of hospitality. Okay? Remember, Jesus said, invite to your feast the poor and those who cannot repay you, and you will be paid at the resurrection of the just. See, the other ones... That's nice, but you don't get nothing for it. There's nothing spiritual about it. It's just the way it's done. So we see Paul was not talking about that. Okay, moving on, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse, okay? Do not avenge yourselves on evil and to those who cause trouble because we're Christians. Either the way we live or what we profess, but it mainly has to because we're do-gooders, see? If you're not a do-gooder, you're going to hell. It's very plain and simple. Well, I don't want people to think I'm too spiritual. Well, they won't while you're in hell, and nobody don't think about you when you're in hell because, see, you're ashamed to be a Christian. Well, you're already not going to make it because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, he said, I'll be ashamed of you before the Father and the holy angels. So you better be a do-gooder or you won't make it to heaven. And if you're just a do-talker, you're definitely not going to make it to heaven, okay? We'll speak more on this avenging ourselves in verse 19 and 20. But those who persecute us, our lifestyle, because of our lifestyle, and we're supposed to be good, then we're suffering for righteousness' sake because we're living the Christian life the way God intended, and Christ is in us, so they're persecuting him. So he said, great is our reward, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now he says, pray for them. Pray for the evildoer. Do not get angry and curse while they're already cursed. People say, you don't have to curse them. Those who don't know the Lord are under the curse. The wrath of God abides on them. Every action they do, they're going to answer for the day of judgment unless they repent and turn to the Lord. They're already cursed, so we don't need to call any other curse on them. God keeps records whether we do or not. He knows. 
So he said, pray for them. What do we pray? That they'll see, they'll have insight and stop being deceived and that they could be saved. So sin deceives and dictates their thinking. And they listen to the devil and don't know it. And they believe lies about us. Jesus said, they'll accuse you of all things falsely for my name's sake. He said, they'll actually kill you like the Pharisees did some of the apostles and the Lord, and said, I think they're doing God a favor. They were religious about it. When they killed Jesus, they were so deceived, they thought he was a false prophet because they didn't know scripture and they didn't repent at John the Baptist's preaching so they couldn't see. It said, had they known he was the Lord of glory, they would not have killed him. They didn't because their sin and the devil inspired them and they wouldn't repent. And they wouldn't see the truth. And so they're responsible for this. Okay? But we can still pray for them. So sin deceives their thinking. And we pray God will enlighten them and convict them so they'll repent. So he can disturb them and convict the wicked. And that's what he intends. 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those being blessed or abounding in peace, not having no major problems. Everything's sort of going fine. Well, things do go fine sometimes, but you just wait. Next day, things can change. Enjoy things while they're going good, because they're not going to do that all the time. And if you're a Christian, he said, through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, and the Lord will deliver him. So he's already told us what we're going to have. So if you have a good day and you're not having that, be happy about it. So great. I'll be happy because this is what is happening. But I'll be joyful when it stops. I'll stay with joy regardless. Happiness is fleeting. Okay. We have good and bad, joy and sorrow. We can enjoy the good times and then we have the bad. It said, yet weep or sorrow with those going through hard times. Uh-huh. Grieving sickness, problems of being a Christian in this wicked world. We are to sympathize. We are to consider them. Paul often said, remember those in bonds. Remember the Christian prisoner that was in prison because of the gospel. He said, that's who you remember. And you prayed for them. The church prayed all night and Peter, an angel, released him because he was going to be killed the next day. So God did hear their prayers. Uh-huh. Now, it's interesting in God's economy, knowing all and planning everything, he already told Peter that he was going to be crucified when he was old. So Peter already knew that. But he had the saints pray it to get him out. So they don't mean because God saw it, it was automatic. He works within the body to accomplish his own purposes. So they prayed for him earnestly, and the angel came and set him out and set him free. And so Peter slept that night. He wasn't worried. He knew one way or another he wasn't going to die because the Lord had told him, you're going to get old and be crucified. He'd already warned him when he wasn't old. So he had enough faith to say, well, I don't know what's going on, but somehow the Lord is going to see me through. And what did he do? He moved many, many Christians to pray all day for him. And then he answered the prayer. This is how the Holy Spirit works. He initiates, he helps, and he completes. That's how spiritual things are done. Nothing is done with the body of Christ without the body of Christ. All the ministries, everything that Christ does on earth 
through the Christian is done through the Christians. That's how he set it up. Okay. So whatever mode we're in, whoever's come across our path, we're to rejoice with them if everything's going well. Uh, we're to be sad and weep with them if they're having a hard time. We're to sympathize with them. We don't tell a person's on a deep grief, oh, be happy. Uh, let's go to lunch and forget about it. That doesn't work. And then when you're in that situation, you wouldn't like someone telling you the same thing, now would you? Uh-huh. Verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haunty in mind, proud, arrogant, but associate with the lowly. Again, he explained who the lowly were. Of course, a lot of people think they're better and they think everybody's lowly if they're not rich and wealthy and well-known. Well, they're usually false Christians, okay? So he says, do not be wise in your own estimation. You're evaluating something wrong. You've been deceived here, okay? Because you're no better than any of them. See, that's the problem. So treat other Christians with the same love of God as he cares for them as much as he cares for you. You're not special to him. I hear a lot of people say we're special. The whole body of Christ is special, but you're no favored one. You're arrogant and you misunderstand things. And if you're gifted and you have higher ministry, you're going to answer for more. The elder that sins, he says he's to be rebuked before the whole church. The normal baby Christian, a novice, doesn't have to be dealt with. The minister can deal with him privately. But he says, if you are worthy of double honor, you're worthy to be embarrassed before the whole group. God measures it outright. Yeah, you confront them. If it's a gross sin, you don't hide it. The church says, oh, no, we're going to deal with this. And you can bet you that Christian probably won't do that again once he experiences that. It's meant to humble his pride and embarrass him. God intends it to, okay? You don't see much of that done today. Yeah. I almost got fired from a minister one time for doing that, but it was the Lord moving me to do it. But I didn't care, but it proved to be true. So they didn't have much action they could take against me at the time. <laughs> so we see then, don't be a respecter of persons, letting personality, money, looks, worldly titles affect you. That's what the Corinthians did. And God struck them with diseases that killed them until they repented. See, he's a, he didn't care. See, people talk it. But most of what's called the church is just the world running the churches. They have the same people with power and money and personality and control as they do in the world. Because they're not Christians. It's a false form of Christianity. Okay? So we cannot let personalities or anything into the spiritual ministries and the work. So in the world, we give certain honor to and station to police, the government. That's different, okay? That's not being a respecter of persons. That's respecting an office that we're told to give honor to, okay? And obedience. And we give double honor to those who minister the word. But again, if they fall into sin, they get the double punishment too. So we appreciate what they do. But we don't make special people out of them and treat them better than other people overall. We don't. So that's what he's talking about. The least in the kingdom of heaven, the least Christian on earth this day 
has a better standing with God than John the Baptist did, and he was the greatest of all prophets, and his ministry was greater than Abraham, Moses, David, and it said we're greater than him, the least, because we have privileges they didn't have. And the spirit of Christ lives in, he did not live in them to that degree. They were under a different system. He said they're greater than him. That's astounding. So we have to be careful how we treat the person that Christ is in, okay? But the least in the kingdom of God is greater than any of those under the old covenant, okay? So if Christ is in one, we do not disrespect them. Fellowship with lowly, for they are rich in faith. Uh-huh. Oh, I heard people tell me, and they didn't like what I told them, but I didn't care. God had called them to minister to those who have money and influence. I said, oh, you're a liar and a hypocrite. It's down to them. They, the mouth dropped. There's no such teaching in the scripture. He don't have no special ministry. Look at Paul. Paul said, look at your scripture. We'll, f- we'll find it later. We'll go there right now. The most important is to have Christ, okay? So we don't look at those because of their looks, their position, their popularity. Uh-huh. You don't measure them by the standards of the world and the span of the natural likes and dislikes. We've been here many times. We'll be here many times more. First Corinthians chapter 1, 26 to 28. Okay. For you see your calling, your Christian calling, what he's talking about, brethren, that there are not many wise and intellectuals according to the natural flesh or the natural man. There are not many mighty, powerful. There are not many noble, famous, movie stars, politicians. For God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are mighty. See, he's in a different kingdom here. He's not impressed by what they have. That's why many of them can't be saved, okay? The base things, those that are despised, God has chosen. Those who are poor are rich in faith. And he said that no man glory in his presence. He's not impressed by these things. And they're not spiritual, okay? So when people are, they show they're not spiritual. Very simple. So we're not to honor them and seek their favor above the normal Christian. We're to associate with the normal, the lowly, because you're not going to find many Christians. Oh, of course, today in the so-called churches, they're all that way. But we are not to act that way. Christ does not. One more scripture, we'll go back to James. James and Paul were in perfect agreement. They just expressed things differently. They were never in conflict with each other. Why, it was James that helped recognize Paul as being an apostle, or the church would have not ever recognized him. He had to submit to them because Jesus told him to go to Jerusalem and submit to him. They had to validate his ministry. And they did. And James was the last one to speak. They said because he was the bishop. He was the administrator and the overseer of the Jerusalem church. It wasn't Peter. When they had public meetings and preachings to the sinners, Peter was in charge. 
But as far as these other things, Peter was a little weary and afraid of James. Every time he did something that he questioned whether he was going to get conflict, he sent letters back to James to explain what he did. So much for him being a pope, huh? And it was Paul that tells us that James was an apostle. They referred to each other. There were no conflict with each other. There's a false teachers and idiots that teach such, okay? James 4, verse 4, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself enemy of God. So if you're favoring the noble and the, and the good-looking and the great personality, and those, uh, that makes you God's enemy. Very plain. And if you mistreat a lowly Christian because of that, you're in trouble. You're a deceiver and a hypocrite. That's what it means. Okay? Look at the part of verse 6. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He's not dealing with those kind of people that think that way. See? They're arrogant. They're deceived. They think they're the king's kid. Well, they're going to find out they're not a king's kid at the day of judgment. Okay? Okay, we'll close now at verse 16. We did not finish one verse, so I'll finish that. The part where he says, do not be wise in your own estimations. Lean not to our own understanding. Don't think like a human thinks. See, the human thinks that way. He said, God doesn't think that way. So if you're going to be spiritual, you can't act like the world and deal with people like you do with the world. So he says, don't be wise in your own estimation because you'll be deceived and you'll be punished by the Lord if you're a Christian. He'll take care of that arrogance and that misconception. Lord, give us wisdom and practical understanding of your word and practical application of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.